is Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, let's get this hour underway on a Tuesday, March 21st. Steinberg coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Flames Talk available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts uh, the day after a debacle in Los Angeles. Yeah, that was ugly. It's uh, time to kick off this hour by saying hello to our NHL insider, Frank Saravalli. It's uh, time for Frank, brought to you by South Trail Chrysler. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailChrysler.com. And we say hello to Frank now from Daily Faceoff and DailyFaceoff.com. Hello, sir. How are we doing today? I am pretty good, Pat. Not going to lie. Um had a couple days in the calendar that I could shake free and uh, came down to Florida with the kids. So uh, nice little break for these couple days. Oh, oh we are. Uh, so we're getting you on a little vacay. Well, I, uh, now I feel bad for even bringing you on on a vacation day. Oh, no, I hate look flames talk. I never say no. Okay. You know what? I, you know what? I appreciate you sucking up. You've won me right back over and now I don't lo- I no longer feel bad. Uh, how, uh, how's the weather? What's, uh, what's shaking in Florida? It was a pretty crispy uh, 24 degrees today in Orlando. Uh, just the typical dad park uh, theme park scene today. Sort of just trudging through everything, but uh, made it back to the hotel for a little late afternoon pool session and uh, currently sitting poolside. And uh, I'll just give you a little preview. As my, my guy Jason Kelsey likes to say, center for the Philadelphia Eagles. Not quite as crispy anymore, and, and he said on his podcast recently, and it stuck with me for all of your listeners, nipples are nature's thermometers, and so <laughs> that's, uh, that's where things are at at the moment. Okay. That is that is the, the best line of the week. Nobody will top that. You've nailed it, and uh, I like it quite a bit. Um, okay. What, uh, what would the thermometer be on the situation with the Calgary Flames right now? I just am... Curious from afar, even uh, even further away now uh, after that 8-2 debacle in Los Angeles with uh, so much on the line. I'm, I'm just curious your thoughts and, and observations on now 71 games of the Calgary Flames experience. Look, it, it hasn't really changed all that much, really from game six on. Like, it's kind of been... Um, the same thing time after time, night after night. And I think when you consider sort of the consistent, inconsistent play, if that makes any sense, that, you know, this team hasn't gone on significant winning streaks. They haven't, um, you know, I think their season high is three games and they've done it twice. Correct. And it, it's like, every, it feels like every time you turn around, you think that there is a chance to gain momentum you like a period, you like a game, you end up with a night like last night where just everything's falling apart. The wheels are falling off. And I think the frustration has been mounting. It sort of feels like there's a volcano around the corner. I don't know who's going to be the person that's making it explode, but it sort of feels like we've been building up to that point, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. And, and it feels like we're kind of sitting on a, you know, powder keg or whatever cliche you want to use. That's kind of what it feels like right now. And, and, 
You know, it's funny. Here we are on, on March 21st, and and the Flames are 11 games away from the end of the regular season, and the playoffs are, are still uh, a possibility, but we're it's March 21st, and the general manager doesn't have a contract. I'm just I'm curious kind of what your read on this is, because just from what I understand, my understanding is there have been contract talks between the Flames and and Prads for Living at different times throughout the year. Uh, I believe there were contract talks right around the time Daryl Sutter got his extension, and and they've circled yeah. back a few times throughout the season. But obviously, nothing is done, and the season's almost over. The offseason's almost here, whether they make the playoffs or not. I'm just curious as to what's your read on on where this thing is going. I don't really know what to make of it. I really don't, because there was, a deal on the table there was a contract offer made from the flames to brad tree living as you said back in uh i think it was late september early october right you know the same time daryl sutter's deal got done i i think there hasn't been any animosity there's been no struggle there's been no whatever there, there's no issue here i i think it's sort of just been tabled and i don't know who's made the decision to table it whether it was Brad True Living, whether it was the Flames, it's just sort of lingering out there, and it's it's become a cloud that's now the uncertainty of that is now hanging over this situation. So um, maybe, uh, and I I'm, I'm I refuse to speculate on it because I really I don't I yeah. don't have any insight, so that's unfair for me to do. But like it just sort of feels like the longer it lingers on, what does that mean? Like the fact that neither side is stepping up to get a deal done. Does that mean that the flames would like to make a change? Does that mean that Brad tree living would like to walk? Like, I don't know what to read into that, but I think the fact that it's at this, you know, juncture and also the flames haven't made the, you know, are are likely to not make the playoffs. It, it really kind of throws a wrench and complicates the scenario. Yep. Yep. Well, and then, and then you've also got the situation with, you know, more and more discourse out there about the head coach and, and relationships with top players, veteran players. I mean, you and I and and you and the guys on the big show have, have talked. I don't want to, like, you probably can't need three or four hands to talk about how many times we've discussed Daryl Sutter and Jonathan Huberdo. And, you know, now there's some Nazem Kadri speculation out there. You're, you're coming off an absolutely brutal game against L.A. with with so much on the line. That, that continues to be a bit of a dark cloud over this season as well. Look, I, I think that's the way bigger issue here. Like, I and I and I wonder if that exact scenario, given that Daryl Sutter has a relationship with Flames ownership that predates Brad Tree Living arriving in the city, if that's really the biggest complicating factor. Like again, unfair to speculate because I I really don't know, but I do know for certain that the frustration has been building up in a significant way between the coach and players, between the coach and staff between the coach at times and front office um, the way this year has gone. And, and you know, it, it's, and it's, it's unfair to put all of that on the coach. I'll say that um, because this is the same guy that last year pushed all the right buttons and, and pushed a lot of the right buttons the season prior. So uh, when he stepped in, so this is, 
it's a really unique situation. This is a reigning Jack Adams award winner as yep. coach of the year. Like it's so what, how does that factor into the general manager's decision? How does that factor into whatever personnel changes might take place this off season? Um, it, it's, it's, this is, you know what, this, Pat, this is a lesson for everyone. This is an exact reason why you don't, extend the coach before extending the GM. It has to, in my view, it has to be GM first and then coach. Yeah. And, and, and cause absolutely. It just throws a wrench into so many plans and directions of organizations, so on and so forth. Uh, it's fascinating so where this group is about this. Yeah. Yeah. So just, just some food for thought for everyone. Uh, just before I tweeted, uh, before I joined you, I tweeted that the Avs announced a three-year extension for Coach Jared Bednar, yes. which takes him through 2027. And I was saying to myself, I wonder how many coaches in the league are extended up to 2027. Like, that feels forever away um, and a really long time for a coach. I think maybe Mike Sullivan in Pittsburgh, I think he is extended exactly through 2027. But the reason I bring that up is because he is extended further than their general manager and Ron Hextall. And there's obviously been lots of speculation about his job security, the way that this season has unfolded, the moves that have been made, the communication, the change in ownership with Fenway sports. There's a lot different wrinkles. So they're not exact apples to apples comparisons by any stretch of the imagination, but it just goes to show you that I think it really complicates matters when the coach is extended out further than the guy who's supposed to be his boss. Yep. That's uh, that's very fair. One uh, one more Flames-related piece before we hit the rest of the league, but um, one of your latest over at Daily Faceoff is identifying some Group 6 unrestricted free agents for the offseason, and, and last year you identified uh, a couple from, I, I believe it was uh, Luke Philp, who was the Flames product that you identified going back to last year. Mm-hmm. This year, this guy's been on the radar all along. I, 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 try, I try to keep track of things. Um, this year, it's Matthew Phillips, and Connor Mackey is no longer here. He's in Arizona now, but the, the current flame is Matthew Phillips, and you know it's kind of been this stalking horse here all year, Frank, that we, we know that he's Group 6 eligible. He's clearly not going to meet the requirements to avoid Group 6 unrestricted free agency. So he is going to hit the open market, and we've known that for a while. He's only played the two games. He's barely played in those two games. It, it, certainly, it certainly has been a hot topic in this market. I'm curious what you think or what your read is or what you understand about how many radars Matthew Phillips is on around the league and, and what type of interest he could slash will draw once he get to once he gets to unrestricted free agency. Look, he, he will have interest. There will be a contract offered from multiple teams if he makes it to market, which I think we're all assuming that he will. Yes. Uh, given that he has the power, like why would he come back to an organization if he's not getting an opportunity? It doesn't make any sense. Um, and that's really the value of group six unrestricted free agency. If you don't get a shot, you're freed and, and you have the opportunity to hit UFA early. So um, I did actually ask around when I wrote the piece last week about those five pending uh, group six free agents to watch. And the interest in Phillips was a lot more lukewarm than I expected. Like it, he, there's no doubt that he's going to get a chance somewhere. Um, but I think teams really are concerned about the size. Like 
more or less what I wrote in that paragraph in the story explaining Phillips and his year is almost exact quotes and text messages that I got from general managers and directors of pro scouting around the league. And that's, he's an elite, elite AHL player, has high-end skill, is sort of the classic quad A or, or tweener player. Yep. And is someone that um, there people are intrigued by that because everyone has seen, you know, Marty St. Louis or, or name another guy of sort of similar size. Uh, everyone's seen those players succeed. I think Phillips for his end is a bit leaner um, and that, you know, makes it more difficult. You know, Marty St. Louis, he had absolute tree trunks for legs. Like yep. if you're going to be a tiny guy, you got to be hard to knock off the puck. And so that's just made his road a bit more difficult. That said, I would think that in any other organization with any other coach called up for two games, would have been given way more of an opportunity. And I think that, you know, when I mentioned frustration and friction earlier in our conversation, that has been part of it. Like you call up these really talented players that are top 10 in AHL scoring that have been doing it in your building in front of your front office mm-hmm. for the entire season to then be, be called up and to play six minutes or seven minutes and then Later on, it was the what jersey number is he like that stuff just it it drives people absolutely bananas. That's not how you treat players that the organization values and thinks highly of, and that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Yep. And now it's the players in the room too. Yeah, they don't like you, you. So okay, so let's let's rewind this back. Uh, to that exact moment in time, and not to relitigate it or make too big of a deal of it. Yeah. But when the players hear something like that, they're pissed because this is a guy that's made his NHL debut, and it should be one of the biggest days of his life. Everyone's been in that spot. And then now spin it forward for the front office because whenever they go to recruit players now, let's call him uh, a Connor Mackey undrafted free agent out of college, which the Flames were wildly successful in wooing him there. Again, regardless of what he ends up being as a finished product, you still have to win the sweepstakes to get him to your town. How, like, if that's the guy coaching your team and that's the reaction that you get and that's the ice time you get, an opportunity, who in their right mind would want to sign there and, and go through that process? Mm-hmm. Well, and they've also got Matt Coronado tearing it up at Harvard, and and that could be within the week that we're talking about them trying to woo and and convince to sign his first NHL deal, which I also know that is uh, kind of this whole conversation is very much being applied to that too. So uh, there there's there's a lot going on, and it's funny because there's eleven games still to go, and who knows how it's going to end. Um, after that loss in Los Angeles feels like most people are kind of like, okay, yeah, it's probably not going to happen after you play that way against the Kings. I don't know. This is going to be a very fascinating next few weeks. And then a number of months after that, I think two things to wrap up the flames part. One, you know, it's not just a reminder last night of how far your team is away from the playoffs. It's also a reminder of, how far you might be from some of the teams that are contending and not saying the flames are, but that's the type of hockey you need to be playing night in and night out. Mm -hmm. And the flames just aren't there. And so two, 
I would say that the best way to explain this season to an outsider would be that, you know, Brad Tree Living might as well be working for the Calgary Fire Service because every single day he's basically been, you know, riding a, a fire engine to work to put out some fires. That's what it felt like to me. And, and I don't know if that's enough uh, flames uh, puns for <laughs> you for me to go on, but that like, it just, that's what it feels like. And so then you ask about his contract and what's going on next. I guarantee you that he's sitting there going me. I don't even care about me at the moment. Like I don't even, I haven't even had time a second to sit back and think about me. I've got so many other things to handle that that's just been back burner for him. He's Frank Saravalli. He uh, joins us every Tuesday here on Flames Talk. Uh, lots of Flames Talk in our chat with Frank today. I do want to ask you about a couple of other things around the league. Number one, uh, you mentioned a little earlier, the the Jared Bednar story as, as he gets his three-year extension on this Tuesday. I think, I mean, even sometimes I forget that this guy... It looked like people thought that he would never coach in the league again after year one. That that absolute disaster of a first year, and and he almost had no chance. Did right? Get fifty points. I don't even think they did. Like I think that year, uh, I think that year was it was one of the worst uh, and and one of the it most was historically the worst bad season seasons. in the NHL's salary cap era. I just thought, I wasn't sure if they even hit fifty points, and I was saying this guy's dead man walking. Yeah, he's not making it to. They did the not next few years and. He, 48. It's amazing. 48 points, and then they made the playoffs the following year and have been in the playoffs ever since, and now obviously they're the uh, defending Stanley Cup champions. That, you know, that's that's one of those real cautionary tales of maybe sometimes you have to let things breathe a little bit more than one year. Yeah, it's a different scenario, but I was wondering about does the same thing apply to someone like Brad Larson in Columbus or pick another coach that's going through, has been through a couple rough seasons that may not make it out to see the other side. And sometimes it is on the coach and sometimes, sometimes it's just on the general manager and, and the organization for not handing that coach the proper pieces to be successful. But I do think there's a lot of teams that have pulled the plug early over the years on coaches. Um, but to see Jared Bednar make it through to the other side, the confidence that he has winning the Stanley Cup, he just he, he strikes me as a super genuine guy. Uh, spending just a little bit of time around him. Um, it, it's the way he's able to, you know, sort of push and pull against the players. Like we've seen the battles with Nathan McKinnon on the bench. I think that was in Calgary, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, like that, that stuff when you go back and forth with your star player on TV, they have to really respect you and like you for them to not turn around the next day or week and knife you in the back to the GM. Because we've seen that play out a million times too, where the star players are just sick of a guy and they essentially railroad him to the GM and a change ends up getting made. In this case, it's obvious that the respect is mutual. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really neat story. Um what and I know that we're almost a week removed from general managers meetings being over. 
What do we know? What's kind of the latest in terms of how clear we are about a salary cap number? What needs to happen for it to stay or only go up by a million or for there actually to be a sizable increase and, and kind of how murky or unmurky the waters are in that regard right now? They're they're murky, but like if it makes any sense, like since I'll use the pool uh, motif here, I've got my goggles on and I can see a path to the ladder. Okay. Like I can see a path to um, to a scenario where the salary cap is going up in a significant way, and it's no different than kind of what I've been telling you going back the last number of months in that. I've never been more confident that we're going to see an increase, like a sizable one, whether it's three, three and a half, four and a half million bucks, because first off, the NHL has been consistent in saying that their revenues are robust. And two, if that's the case, then they're going to be pretty close to paying off Mm -hmm. that debt. It was $1.2 billion. And so whether it's 50 million bucks remaining or 75 or whatever the end number ends up being, it's likely to be paid off in the first few weeks of next season. No one wants to go through a fourth straight season of a flat salary cap, uh, maybe outside of the Arizona Coyotes, yeah. who have been able to harvest some, some assets. Owners are ready, GMs are ready, and now players are ready. But what's interesting is it's going to be the first sort of negotiation between incoming NHLPA Executive Director Marty Walsh, who began his role at the Post yesterday, um, between him and Gary Bettman to really get the lay of the land. Like, how is Marty Walsh going to react? We're going to learn a lot about um, the stance that the players take from here on. And um, it, it is going to be really interesting theater to watch. But I think in the end, Gary Bettman knows that the owners that counsel him and sort of, you know, run the league as the executive committee um, – they want to see an increase. Okay. And in the meantime, he's just sort of waiting to see if he can get something in order to do it. Great stuff as always, pal. Get back to the uh, Florida vacay, hey? Yeah, sounds good. Good to connect and uh, have a great week. You as well. Thank you, Frank. That was awesome stuff as always. Frank Saravalli, our daily face-off NHL insider, joins us every Tuesday here on Flames Talk, and he joins us, brought to you by South Trail Chrysler. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailChrysler.com. Hey, it's George Russick. And Matty Rose. We host the big show with Russick and Rose. If you miss us weekday mornings on Sportsnet 960 to fan, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, download the podcast on demand. So many places that you can find the podcast wherever you get your favorite NHL, NFL, CFL, MLB, the stories that sports fans in Calgary want to hear. We got it for you. We are the big show. Flamestock is on the air and streaming on the Sportsnet mobile app. Sportsnet 960 The Fan, Calgary. Time for a Tuesday edition of your Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The final days of 0.99% or up to 18,000 credit on cash purchases ends this Saturday only at Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Steinberg along with Aaron Vickers, and now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Tuesday roundtable. We we really haven't so far this hour touched much on that debacle in Los Angeles. 
Eight to the final score. So I guess we probably should now. Uh, eight to your final. Four nothing after twenty. Six one after forty. And and it just aside from the first six minutes, maybe eight minutes of the first period, they just were never really in that hockey game. And it was game seventy one with a lot on the line and a big opportunity in front of them. Guys, how concerning was that effort? Not just the overall effort in a vacuum, but then when you throw in the context of what goes into it too. Well, it was certainly a missed opportunity. Uh, I know I was excited when I was uh, watching games on Sunday and saw the Jets lose and the Predators lose. And I knew at that point the Flames had an opportunity with a win versus the Kings to get to within two points of a Stanley Cup playoff spot and would have been able to taste it at that point in time. But now last night did not go their way. That's safe to say. Largest uh, they were outshot this season. Largest they were outscored this season. And an 8-2 loss to a Kings team that I think is better than I've been giving them credit for. But we can have that discussion another day. And I have a hard time as a broadcaster questioning effort because I don't think they weren't trying last night. For me, it was about two other words that start with the letter E. It was about energy and execution and a lack of both. They looked like a tired team last night. And I'm not making excuses because schedules around the league have been wacky this season. But so far in the month of March, the Flames have had two home games, two road games, two home games, two road games, one home game, and now two road games. They've been flying all over the map all over God's green earth so far in the month of March. And the craziest part of this schedule is they played two games just outside of Southern California last week, one in Arizona and one in Nevada. And then they come home and then have to fly right back to SoCal for a back-to-back this week. So for me, they lacked energy last night, passed the boat the five-minute mark, and their execution was probably as bad in last night's game against the Kings as it has been in any game this season. And I do tip my cap to their opponent. The Kings were relentless from start to finish last night. And once they smelled blood in the water after taking a one to nothing lead, they did not take their foot off the gas. I thought they played an outstanding hockey game last night. Now, Flames made life a lot easier for them than they have the ability to do for their opponents. So that was concerning. But... I'm anxious to see how the team bounces back tonight. You can live with a loss to the Kings. As a matter of fact, when I looked at the schedule a couple of weeks ago, I, in pencil, wrote in one and one in the two remaining games against the Kings. So you can live with a loss versus the Kings. They're tied for first place in the Pacific Division. What you can't live with is a loss to the Ducks. Another loss to the Ducks. A team that's more than 20 points behind you in the standings and uh, is going to have a pretty good chance to get Connor Bedard at the NHL draft. So uh, last night was one thing. How do you respond to it? That's what I'm anxious to see, guys. Yeah, for me, it's not so much that they lost to the Los Angeles Kings, but it's how they went down. Calgary Flames weren't going to run the table the rest of the season. So, yeah, you're going to see some losses sprinkled in here or there throughout the remaining games on the schedule. But that wasn't inspiring. They looked defeated. They looked like they were accepting of their fate, kind of just rolled over once they fell behind the Kings. That was a key game. They had a chance, as you mentioned, Willsey, to pull within two points of the Jets and go three up on Nashville. Granted, Nashville has games at hand. But this second wildcard spot's almost turning into a turtle derby with the Jets on pace now for 93 and a half. That gives the Calgary Flames, as their situation sits right now, they need 17 of a possible 22 to leapfrog that. 
without factoring in the Predators who do, again, have some games at hand. But you had an opportunity to really put some heat on the Jets and really start nipping at their heels, especially considering there's still a game to be played head-to-head. Calgary Flames just kind of rolled over, and to me, that's the most alarming thing. Yeah, I guess I I asked the question, guys, because of the opportunity that sat in front of them and the fact that we're, what, now more than 85% of the way through the season, and that type of effort can be put on the ice this deep into the year. That That's the most concerning part to me, is that this, you know, I, I think every game needs to be treated like the biggest game of the year, blah, 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 of yep. course, but... There was an opportunity for them to move within a game with even games played, and they played like that and rolled over like they did. There there were way too many stretches in that hockey game where they were waving a white flag, it felt like, and when you saw that body language on the bench, it was super alarming. And they had, they had a stretch there where... Tyler Toffoli scores that early goal in the second period. They get a power play right away. They don't score on that second power play. And and it felt like it was like, and, and I'm, this is not even a criticism. It just felt like they said, no, it's not going to happen. Like, we, we got no belief. And and Kempe scores those two quick goals. And it was just very alarming and concerning that that could happen and they could look as defeated as they did, as easily as they did at this stage of the season with things still being on the table for them. That's what is super concerning to me, that there was everything to play for in that game. And again, I'm with you, Derek. I'm not questioning effort. I'm not questioning try. It's more I'm questioning belief, and it that looked like a team that did not believe at all after that first goal went in. And after that fifth goal went in, it was just way too easy to knock the belief level. And that was super, super alarming. And that's one of the things I'm having a really hard time wrapping my head around, fellas. Belief. Because one minute it looks like they have belief, the next minute it doesn't. Or maybe I should say one game, it looks like they have belief. For example, last Saturday's game against the Stars. Horrible start. You're down 2 nothing before the two-minute mark. And then you're down 3-1. Well, you battle back and you take 4-3 and 5-4 leads in that game. I don't think that a team that doesn't believe does that against a good team like the Stars. But the Flames did and found a way to get a point out of that game. But you're right. It didn't look like they had a lot of belief last night. Tough way to start the game, though, Pat. You're down 4-0 following the first period. The only life I saw from the Flames as a whole last night was early in that game. I actually didn't mind their start one bit. I thought both teams were tight defensively. I thought there was a great pace to get that game going, but everything changed after that first Kings goal. And then we saw a flicker of hope from the Flames early in the second period when they scored in the first minute on the power play to make it 4-1. And then, as you mentioned, they get another power play right after that, and you're thinking, or at least I was thinking, well, if they can get another power play goal here, now you got a 4-2 game. And the Flames are on their toes and the Kings are on their heels, but that flip-flopped pretty fast, so... It uh, didn't happen last night, but when I look at uh, what's ahead, not only for the Flames, but for the Jets and the Predators, uh, the three teams fighting for the second wildcard spot in the Western Conference, maybe I should be more worried about the Predators than I am, considering the fact that they do have three games in hand, but 11 of their last 14 games are against playoff teams. They have the hardest schedule in the NHL from this point forward. 
The Flames have the easiest schedule in the league uh, from now until the end of the regular season. Only three of their last 11 games are against playoff teams. Now, I say that out of one side of my mouth, and out of the other side, I have to say that they have a better record against playoff teams than against non-playoff teams. But the Jets don't have all that hard a schedule either. They've got the sixth easiest schedule in the NHL for the rest of the season, and I believe they only got four games against playoff teams remaining. So, you know, the Jets have been stumbling. The Flames have to hope that that continues to happen and that they win the head-to-head game in regulation time. And then it's up to the Flames to to take care of business against teams that, quite frankly, they should be taking care of business against, like the Ducks. Yeah, you've got to cash in your remaining schedule, as you mentioned. Eight of the 11 teams that they play are outside of the playoff picture right now. There is a path for the Calgary Flames, and that goes back to the, the belief, or lack thereof, that we saw against the Los Angeles Kings. There is still a path to make it to the playoffs. It, it might not be the easiest path. It might not be the prettiest path, but you sure have the opponents set up to knock down in order to at least make a push. So the lack of belief or the lack of um, whatever adjective you want to call it from that game against the Kings, a little baffling, and we'll see how they respond against the Ducks. The uh, By the way, Money Puck's playoff projection swung by about 16% after last night. Wow. Uh, Flames went from 40% to 23.9% with um, with that loss. Jets went from 60 to 76% just with one game. Now, again, it, th- this stuff, it, you can't predict what's going to happen. Jets have got Arizona. Flames have got Anaheim. Both those games should be wins for the two Canadian teams. But as we know, that has not always been the case on both sides. You know, Winnipeg's situation is not all that different than Calgary's when it comes to, you know, beating good teams and losing to teams that they shouldn't lose to, so on and so forth. So we'll see how it all plays out. It's Derek. Aaron, Pat, Daily Flames Roundtable. Gents, uh, we don't know who's starting in Anaheim for the Flames on Tuesday night, but Jacob Markstrom has allowed six goals in his last five periods, six on Saturday against Dallas, and six more in the first 40 minutes on Monday against Los Angeles. Is it, are, are we talking about a fatigued or a tired Jacob Markstrom right now? Yeah, he does look a little bit worn out. Uh... I mean, even if he plays every game between now and the end of the regular season, he's still not going to get to the 63 that he finished last season at. And I remember Jay Woodcroft uh, bringing that up in the second round of last season's Stanley Cup playoffs, talking about how his goaltender, Mike Smith, was fresh because he hadn't played in 63 regular season games. And even though he didn't name Jacob Markstrom by name, we all knew who he was talking about. But, you know, he has started 10 straight games and appeared in 12 consecutive contests. And the last couple have been a bit of a shooting gallery for him. You know, there was a stretch there where the Flames were fairly tight defensively in front of him and didn't have to deal with a ton of shots or high danger shots. Well, the last two games certainly haven't been good defensively for the Flames as uh, it was a track meet versus the Stars on Saturday and gave up way too many grade-A chances in that one. And then uh, a shooting gallery against the Kings last night. Uh, the Flames were uh, so badly outshot last night that uh, it wasn't even close to being uh, uh, the the worst that they've been outshot this season. Uh, the, the most they had been outshot prior to last night was by 14. Last night was by 21. So... Uh, It was a lot of work for Jacob Markstrom in the first 40 minutes of that hockey game. And uh, on Saturday, my biggest issue with him was rebound control. 
Last night, I just thought he looked small in his net again. And that's how he looked in a lot of games earlier this season when he was fighting it and probably lacked a little confidence. But uh, during the last stretch, I really thought that he looked big in his net again and was playing like a confident goaltender and just letting the game come to him and making saves look easy. Easy saves look easy and hard saves look easy. Well, nothing looked easy for him or for the Flames last night. So I, I suspect fatigue probably is a factor. He's been between the pipes in 12 straight games. So I would be surprised if he got the start against the Ducks tonight. Uh, Dan Vladar came in last night. Didn't look great in the third period of a game that was already out of hand, so I guess you take that with a grain of salt. But, you know, he wasn't uh, playing very good hockey prior to uh, Jacob kind of taking the reins and uh, helping the Flames get back into the playoff picture. So uh, I'm guessing Vladar gets to start tonight, but uh, who knows? We've been surprised before. Yeah, Markstrom, as you mentioned, Wilsey, has made an appearance in every game for the Calgary Flames in almost a calendar month. And I don't know whether or not it's fatigue or if he's just slumping after his best start of the stretch of the season, pardon me. But the first two weeks of March, he was 3-3-0 with a 1.99 goals against and a 9.36 save percentage. That was right around the time where Daryl Sutter said, we've got to ride Jacob Markstrom and basically put our playoff hopes on his back. But the last week, he's 1-1-2 with a 4.74 goals against and an 8.13 save percentage. Is that fatigue? Is that just him falling back to earth after his best stretch? I don't know. But if I were willing to bet some money, Wilsey, I'm riding with you and putting Vladar as the starter tonight. Just simply with how the game against the LA Kings shook down, where there was an opportunity to make a goalie change after 20, it comes after 40. I wonder if that's you don't want to load up uh, Dan Vladar with 40 minutes of work, knowing that he's going to play the next night. Maybe you just give him that 20 as a bit of a teaser to knock the rust off before going back to him against uh, Anaheim. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think he looks tired. I think he needs the break. Um, I did not love him against Dallas. I thought that, uh, yeah, there were some high-quality chances given up early, but I take a look at the two tying goals Dallas scored and the overtime winner. That's the last three goals against the Stars that I, I think, you know, you, you probably could have used a stop on any one of those. And then, again, this is not putting it all on the goalie by any means because they were rather porous at times defensively on Saturday. And I mean, what doesn't matter who your goalie was last night. Um, but I do think it's, it's time for him to get a rest. I have no problem with them riding him as their guy from here on out, but you still have to manage him. Even though there's only a small amount of games left, doesn't matter how many games are left. The guy can still get fatigued and, Playing 10 in a row, I think that's a good time to get your backup in. You've got another back-to-back here before the end of the year. I think that's a time to get your backup in again. I, even, even if you're going to ride your number one in the final month and a half of the season, you still have to manage him, manage his rest, and play your other guy. This game against Anaheim is a perfect opportunity to do just that. Yeah, and guys... Was I the only one a little bit surprised that Daryl Sutter didn't make a change following the first period last night? I mean, regardless of what your plan is, if your plan is to go back to Jacob Markstrom versus the Ducks, give him 40 minutes off. If your plan is to go to Dan Vladar versus the Ducks, give him 40 minutes. He hadn't played in 20 days. So he wouldn't have been tired, even if he had played the last two periods of last night's game against the Kings and all three periods or more versus the Ducks tonight. He's a very well-rested goaltender and down four, uh, maybe you change momentum a little bit. Maybe you spark your guys a little bit by making a change between the pipes following the first period. He didn't. Maybe he didn't because 
he didn't want to send the wrong message to the team that he thought it was on the goaltender and not the 18 skaters in front of Markstrom last night. Uh, hard to know what Sutter was thinking, but I was a little bit surprised that he didn't make a change for a couple of reasons. But I do think we see Dan Vladar tonight, and the Flames are going to need him to not steal the game, but give them a chance to win the game. And he has done a really good job of that for the most part this season. But don't forget, in his last start, he gave up two goals on five shots in the first period of what turned into a 4-3 overtime loss to the league-leading Bruins back on February 28th. And the Flames got a point out of that game because Jacob Markstrom came in in the second period and basically closed the door on the best team in the league and helped them pick up a point. So Vladar was struggling prior to Markstrom getting into 12 straight games and didn't look great in the third period last night. Now I'll cut him some slack because he hadn't played in almost three weeks, but this is a big start for Dan Vladar because if he plays well and the Flames win tonight, I think you feel a lot more comfortable going to him uh, for a handful of games between now and the end of the regular season, even if you are still in the playoff race. But if he doesn't play well, then it might be uh, a lot of Jacob Markstrom. Uh, it might be only Jacob Markstrom for the final 10 games. Yeah, after the first period, I was kind of curious as to the fact that there was not a goalie change. Then we saw it after 40. And I, I don't know the difference between playing 20 minutes and playing 40 minutes as it pertains to going in back-to-back nights. I, I truly don't know the difference on the wear and tear. I wonder if it was just a situation where Daryl only wanted Vladar to have to deal with the 20, to get into in-game reps, to get into his you know set routines when he's actually on the ice and in-game situations and give him that little sample, the appetizer, before going against the Ducks on Tuesday. I was surprised by a lot last night. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. That bye. makes three of us. Bye, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see you soon. Biggest game of the season tonight, guys. They all are. He's yeah. uh, he's Derek Wills. He's Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. There you go. That's your Daily Flames Roundtable. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The final days of 0.99% are up to 18,000 credit on cash purchases. Ends this Saturday only at Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Well, there was good news on uh, Monday. Oh, hit us with it. This, is, this reminds me of the classic British office gag where David Brent um, tells Malcolm that, well, I've got uh, good news and and bad news. He's like, okay, well, what's the ba- bad news first? He's like, some of you will be made redundant and there will be job cuts. Like, well, what's the good news? He's like, I'm getting promoted. <laughs> no, there's, there's, there's bad news and there's irrelevant news. That's kind of what I feel like. So there is the bad news. The Flames lost 8-2 in Los Angeles. But the good news, I went 3-0 and on best well, bets. Good for you, Patrick. <laughs> Congratulations on getting one step closer to those playoffs. Oh, hey, we're on. We've gone six straight weeks of a winning record. Trying to make it seven. Great start on a Monday. So there's your real good news that I went 3-0 wow. on our best What a bet. guy. <laughs> Uh, it is time for your, I, I kid for all the, for sometimes I, we get texts. Hope you get lit up on the text line for people that. People don't, uh, don't catch on to my sarcasm and my self-deprecation. I really don't have that much of an ego. The ego doesn't really exist much these days. Uh, it's time for your Flames Talk Best Bets. Brought to you by Bodog.net. Find your next favorite game at Bodog.net. Hashtag make a play. Free play only. 18 plus Play responsibly. So the uh, three for three we went on Monday. Tyler Toffoli went over half a point. Nathan McKinnon went over four and a half shots. And Brady Kachuk went over three and a half shots. Here's what I'm liking for your Tuesday. Got three more for you. Um, They've raised Tyler Toffoli's shot total. Yeah. 
finally the books are catching on to the Flames being a high-shot volume team. The the fact that they've taken this long to raise Tyler Toffoli's shot total to three and a half, he's been their shot volume leader all year, um, and especially in the second half. Uh, Nazem Kadri had been. He's dropped off. Backland and Toffoli have moved up the ranks, and those are your three-shot volume guys for the Flames. Toffoli's been a two and a half for 70 games or 71 games for game 72. They finally moved him to three and a half. I'm still taking the over. Uh, so I'm going to fully over three and a half shots. Anaheim bleeds shots like nobody else in this league. Um, so I'm going to fully over three and a half shots. A uh, couple elsewhere for you. I've got Winnipeg's Nino Niederreiter over two and a half shots at home to Arizona. And I've got Alex Ovechkin over four and a half shots versus Columbus. So, Three shot props for you on this Tuesday. Toffoli over three and a half. Nita Ryder over two and a half. And Ovechkin over four and a half. And if you want to really have some fun, Yusuf Velimaki's hit over one and a half for Arizona in five straight games. So you can just do that. And if you really want to have a, a good time, parlay him with Johnny Goudreau, who's hit four straight over two and a half too. Why not? There you go. little bonus quasi flames coverage on that one. Not bad, not the former eh. Flames. Hey, why not? Why not? Uh, he is Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. As we start to wrap up this hour, Cam and Taylor have been our producers, and those are your Flames Talk Best Bets, brought to you by Bodog.net. Find your next favorite game at Bodog.net. Hashtag make a play. Free play only, 18 plus. Play responsibly.